The Titans remain undefeated at home with a 17-10 win over the Carolina Panthers on Sunday. We are going to break down how they did it, things they did well, and things that still concern us over the last stretch of this season. This is the Music City Audible. Let's get to it. We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Choose your fighter. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. Some of it was bad, but hopefully you'll you probably piece something together. Outstanding. There's an earthquake in the middle of the podcast. Unbelievable. We're begging for listeners. That's all we do. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Music City Audible podcast presented by Broadway Sports Media in partnership with 440 Sports. I'm Justin Graver. With me, as always, is Justin Mello. And Justin, the Titans did it again. They won at Nissan Stadium, 4-0 at Nissan Stadium. Four of their last six games are at Nissan Stadium. So before we even react to this game, I have a question for you. Wow. Starting off hot. He did not prepare me for this, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know what question he has, (laughs) but let's hear it. I told Mello before we started that I would surprise him with a question. <laughs> Are the Titans still contending for a playoff spot? I'm going to go with no. No, I'm not what? there. I think you know my answer. Sorry. No, I'm not there. And it was fun to get a win. It was fun to see some certain guys play well. I think that's what we're going to focus on mostly. But overall, I think this was still, you know, they didn't run. They never really, I mean, they had a comfortable lead at the break, but they they, they failed to run away with this game in the second half. Right, and that's a one in ten now. Carolina Panthers team that fired their head coach, by the way, after losing to the Tennessee Titans. So it's like, no, I'm not there yet. I'm excited. I hate to start this episode with a bit of a damper because I'm excited to talk about this game. I I actually had fun, believe it or not. I had fun watching this game. I did have fun. So I'm really excited to talk about and talk about some of the individual performances. Lots of things that stood out. Uh, But no, I'm not. I mean, put it this way. Yesterday. They put the, I was watching the Ravens Chargers game, the primetime game on Sunday night, and they put the graphic up teams in the hunt, the playoff, and Titans were nowhere to be found on the board. Their record isn't even good enough to qualify for like the fifth place in the hunt team from what what I, although the Chargers lost and they also fell to four and seven, but regardless, uh, and I believe they were on the board. Uh, No, I'm just not there. So here's where they stand right now. They currently are in 14th place in the AFC, which definitely sounds like a long ways from 7th place, which is where they need to be to secure the final wildcard spot. But they're only two games back. Now, they might have to get three games of advantage here because their conference record is 2-5. and five. Their strength of victory is .341, which those are the tiebreakers that put you up higher in the, in the playoff hunt. So the Titans would probably need to get a full three games ahead of say the Colts who are currently the seventh seed six and five Texans six and five Broncos six and five Bills six and six Bengals five and six Raiders five and seven Chargers Titans Jets all four and seven I'm not the saying Bengals that they're the Chargers right at least you got tiebreakers over two of the teams are ahead of you although you don't you 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 don't have it over Cleveland or Pittsburgh right who are both ahead of right. you so but those good teams are there. Those teams are well ahead of the Titans. Those teams are three games ahead of the Titans at seven and four. I'm looking more at like the Colts, Texans, Broncos level. Bills yeah. also are are I mean, gonna get hey, better. Hey, you and got compete. the Colts coming up. You haven't played the Texans yet. Like that's right. if you're Mike Vrabel, that's the message, right? Again, like you've got a job to do. You're trying to get your team into the like that's the message. Hey, everything we want is still in front of us, right? Like right. That's, and that's the, the message. The upcoming the upcoming schedule is home versus the Colts, then you're on the road against the Dolphins on Monday Night Football. 
That is by far the toughest game left on their schedule. Then they got the Texans at home, Seahawks at home, Texans on the road, and finish off the season against the Jaguars at home. Obviously, there are good teams on this list. The Texans have been playing well ahead of where the Titans are. So have the Seahawks, so have the Jags, and even so have the Colts. So every team on this list for the for, on the schedule for the rest of the season, the Titans will likely be underdogs. But the disparity with how they've been playing at Nissan Stadium versus how they've been playing on the road, four of their last six are at Nissan. I mean, you have a chance to get to eight wins if you keep winning at home. Then you just got to steal one on the road against a division rival in Houston, which division games are usually closer than whatever the spread line might make it might make you think it is. The Dolphins are by far the best team on this list. They're eight and three, but the Dolphins haven't beaten a team with a winning record. Now, the Titans won't be a team with a winning record when they face off, no matter how they do the next couple of weeks. But the Dolf- my point is the Dolphins are a little bit of a paper giant, a little bit of a false good team. They beat up on really bad teams, but they I, have not been that competitive against good teams. I don't think that this is where it's going. I just wanted to get the conversation started that this season, while we've kind of been pretending like this is the season's a wrap, let's look ahead to the draft. Let's look at the young players on, on this roster that the Titans can build around. It's not quite over. It's definitely not mathematically over. And even like you could see a world where the Titans continue to get better. Jalen Duncan, a better option at left tackle than Andre Dillard. I'm not saying it's going to happen. Will Levis could, you know, continue to improve as the weeks go by. I just wanted to, to throw it out there and say, look, there is a chance that you go get Will Levis some playoff experience. And the other side of this for me from a fandom standpoint is Titans fell to 10th overall pick in the draft as of Monday before the Bears and Vikings play on Monday night. They were 6th heading into this past weekend fall to 10th, the talent drop-off from a top six or seven pick to 10 and beyond in this draft class could be a huge jump. At what point is it more valuable to go get Will Levis and these other young players a, a playoff experience game, even if they get blown out, compared to getting the 10th pick versus the 20th pick? I don't know. I'm just uh, just throwing it I- all out there. I still think there's a big difference there because although I agree, there's I think there's a, a clear top six probably in this draft, and they're all offensive players. Um, I still, you know, you don't want to be at nine or ten in my opinion, but if you are, you know, Malik Neighbors at LSU, J.C. Latham the tackle at Alabama, like there there are a lot of players. Fua, uh, uh, Talise Fuaga at Oregon State's a guy I'm in love with. I don't see enough buzz on like. The tackle at Georgia is just getting back into form now. Like there are going to be guys taken in that range that can, that can still help this team next year for sure. Even if you miss out, unfortunately, on an Olu Fashanu or a Joalt or uh, things of that nature. But I get what you're saying. I do want to make one counterpoint. Um, we're talking about the Tennessee Titans here. Like you're talking about the Dolphins. Oh, paper giant. I'd cut off both left toes for the Dolphins offense. I don't know about you. No doubt. <laughs> no doubt about it. <laughs> like, come on. What are we doing here? I mean, the 30 some points a game. Like. But every week they're scoring 30, it feels like 35. Titans haven't done it since I was 12, a preteen, prepubescent teenager for crying <laughs> out loud. You're talking about, you're, you're giving, you're trying to freaking big up the Titans while lower the Dolphins. I mean, Raheem Mostert, Tyreek Hill, Devon A. Chain, Jalen, come on. <laughs> no, I, I hear you and I totally agree. Um, just wanted to throw that conversation out there. We'll revisit next week if the Titans beat yes. the Colts at home, then That's we can really get start. interesting. Could get then a little interesting talking about if it. that happens. So let's get into this game here. Titans beat the Panthers, as I said, 17-10. to 10. 
And just from a broad standpoint, looking at this game, the Titans score 17 points in the first half. That's more points than they've scored in any game away from Nissan Stadium this season. The highest away from Nissan has been 16 points. So 17 points in the first half, fans are sitting back like, hey, is this it? Is this the game? The Titans get to 30. Then they come out in the second half and fail to score a single point. They fail to string together a drive of any drive longer than five plays in the second half or seven play. They had one drive of seven plays in the second half um, that ended in a in a punt. So the the offense in the second half, this looked a lot like many of the games from early last season where the Titans would jump out to like a 24 to seven lead in the first half and then not score again for the whole game. This week, it was only a 17-point score in the first half. Don't manage to score again the rest of the game, but the defense does their job, holds the, the Panthers to 10 points. Just one touchdown the, to open the second half was their only scoring drive of the second half, their only touchdown drive of the game. But I do think as we look at and talk about the future of this team, there are a lot of reasons to be concerned, and I think there are many more reasons to be concerned about this team than there are to be excited about this win. Like, I don't take anything from this Titans win and think, despite everything I just said about the playoffs. I was going to say, you're bringing up freaking playoffs. (laughs) Despite that, from coming out of this game, I don't have any more confidence or faith in the Titans' ability to go beat a good team than I did going into the game. And the offense as a whole, I mentioned one drive of, of seven plays in the second half. They had one drive of 15 plays in the first half. The opening, was it the opening drive? No, the second, no, yeah, the second, the, oh, the second drive. Sorry. Um, those were the only two drives in the game that went more than five plays of offense. Now they did have a two play touchdown drive where they, you know, the strip sack by Arden key recovered by Jeffrey Simmons puts and, them in scoring range and they scored. And, and the play, field goal drive plays. before the half, you know, was the it, field it was goal a good drive, before drive the half. right? It was just obviously cut it short was. from field goal. Because of timing. That's correct. But still, you'd like to see them be able to string together longer drives. And I just, Looking at what Will Levis did, I think that's a good place to start after the broad overview here is Will Levis in the first half was pretty much lights out. In the second half, not so much. Much more inconsistent. Missed a few throws, missed a few open receivers. What do you take from Will Levis's performance in this game? Well, I, I thought overall it was good. And by the way, I found it hilarious that you tweeted that at halftime, how they had scored more points uh, than they uh in the first half and they had away from home all year, then they don't score another point in the second half. I thought it was so funny the way yeah. that worked out. But uh, <laughs> uh, the drive that sticks out to me when talking about Will Levis, of course, is the 15-play, 80-yard scoring drive. I mean, of, of course, they've had more exciting drives this year, right, with the long touchdown throws he had in the Atlanta game. I thought this was probably the best drive they've had this year, period, right? And, and maybe I'm misremembering or short-term memory loss, but – 15 plays, 80 yards. I mean, that's dominant. That's that's a Mike Vrabel coach team. That's what he wants, right? Will Levis on that drive, 7 of 7 for 90 passing yards. Like, he was outstanding on this drive. My favorite throw, I think was the most underrated one, was that honey hole shot to Josh Wiley. Uh, I think it was the second mm. last play of the drive. I think Derrick Henry ran for a touchdown on the following play, I think. But that, that shot to Wiley, I mean, incredible tight window, accurate, decisive, a bullet, velocity, but there are a lot of throws. I mean, the one to Chig, the, the biggest one, the 25-yard gain down the sideline. I mean, I, I, he looked like he was sacked, right? He's being dragged down yeah. essentially to the ground, and he gets off a 25-yard floater down the sideline. I mean, that was an exceptional, exceptional play. Individual uh, effort, really, from Will Levis on that play. And there were other ones. A couple of those outs, Chris Moore, Nick Westbrook-Akine, they went for you know 8 to 12 yards where it was just – 
accurate, decisive, on-time, velocity, throwing the football with confidence right up to the spot. You know your guy's going to be where he's going to be when he's supposed to be there. Like, I thought that was an outstanding drive for him. And I think think there's one or two things I'm forgetting. Oh, the fact that they uh, took a sack, which made it a third and seven. Dylan Radins was at fault for that sack. And then Dylan Radins takes a false start penalty, third and 12. I mean, that's a drive killer for this offense typically, right? I mean, for a lot of offenses, but especially this one. And then he hits DeAndre Hopkins for 11 yards. And I think Mike Vrabel might have listened to this podcast last week. You know, you went on your rant about the fourth down aggressiveness. Well, that 11-yard gain gets him into a fourth and one manageable. They, they, they roll the dice as they should, bring in Jeffrey Simmons as a fullback. Although, correct me if I'm wrong, they didn't really use him on that play, right? They motioned him out to the other side, and then they, they tossed it to Henry. I love that, though, because you get them thinking that's, you know, misdirection. That's where the ball's going because that's where Jeffrey Simmons is going, uh, was in the game. So that was a good play design by Tim Kelly and a good play call. Pick up the first down. The drive continues. I mean, 15 plays, 80 yards. Uh, that was exceptional. I thought I, I certainly thought on that drive and the drive right before half where he gets what he needs to get his 18-yard big game to Nick Westbrook-Akine, hit Chig right before that, gets him in the field goal range. Certainly, I thought those two drives were beyond impressive and certainly continues to look like a franchise quarterback. Yeah, absolutely agree with that. That drive is the standout drive of the game. The one right before halftime as well, you know, five plays, leading to a field goal in just 28 seconds with the dart to um, Nick Westbrook-Akina over the middle when the Panthers were allowing them to basically say, we'll let you complete a pass over the middle of the field because we don't believe you can get up and spike it in time to kick a field goal. Well, the Titans were ultra-prepared, a sign of good coaching, which you know we haven't seen too many signs of good coaching. We know Mike Vrabel is a good coach, right? But there's a sign of good coaching. Your team is well-prepared to execute that end-of-half play. But in the second half, Things got pretty tough for the Titans. They had a lot of three and out or four and out type of plays. They had two in the second half alone. They had two false start penalties on third down, which really made things difficult. They had one drive that looked like it was going to continue when Will Levis tried to hit Tajay Spears on a little wheel route on the sideline. And Tajay Spears gets lit up by the defensive back. He got a flag coming out. What looks to be an unnecessary roughness penalty on a defenseless receiver. Eventually, the flag gets picked up. They also tried to flag DeAndre Hopkins for an illegal pick play offensive pass interference that was a totally legal play, so they picked that flag up as well. And the end result was the Titans punting another three and out. I, I, From my memory watching the game, it felt like the Titans coaching staff went very conservative and as they basically do. put... and As they do. And put Levis in tough spots where it was up to him to convert a third and long after a couple failed plays. That is kind of what happened, but... There were more first and second down pass attempts in the second half, looking back through the the play-by-play log of the game, than my memory tells me there were. So it it felt like it was more of like a run-run pass, and Will Levis is forced to pass on a third and long situation. That wasn't really the case. There was a couple first down passes, a couple second down passes, and Levis was just missing these throws or missing the receivers. There was one play where he got flushed out of the pocket and tried to hit Kyle Phillips down the field. Phillips was open, and he just... Threw it wide of his target on that, that play, down, DeAndre Hopkins. That was a third that down. One and on that and on that play, DeAndre Hopkins had beat his man with no safety help over the top and was running free to the end zone. So I wonder how much of this talk. There's been a lot of talk among from Will Levis from the coaching staff about him being a little too aggressive, throwing deep and trying to hit that deep shot too often when he has underneath options available to him. And I felt like in this game. 
maybe he overcorrected a little bit. He went too conservative, too much looking for the underneath option and didn't see the deep ball, which is, you know, what what we said in the past on this show is the thing that's going to set him apart and make him special is the willingness and ability to attack deep and be aggressive in those situations when you have the matchups that you can win down the field like that Hopkins one. I don't want to see this coaching staff take that out of away from him, and I don't think they will. There's a lot of concern when I tweeted this that like, oh, Mike Vrabel doesn't want his quarterback to throw the ball deep. He wants to be conservative. Like, come on. No coach doesn't want their quarterback to hit deep shots when they're there, and no offensive coordinator either. Like, explosive plays are what create good offense. So obviously the coaching staff wants to see him hit those deep shots. They, they just don't want him to take those when it's unnecessary, when it's not open, and when you do have a guy open underneath. So I think Will Levis... Showing improvement in that area, overcorrected a little too much. Let's see if he can bring it back to a middle ground and not miss those deep shots, but also not take them unnecessarily. All in all, it was a solid performance from Will Levis. I just wish we'd gotten to see him do more in the second half and uh, felt like the offense was just not really in sync in that second half. Yeah, and I think a lot of that's on him, truthfully, because I think the Kyle Phillips miss was a big one. And it adds insult to injury, as you said, not seeing a wide open DeAndre streaking down the field. There was another miss to DeAndre that that bothered me, right? Remember the one that was behind him, uh, that Hopkins almost still maybe could have caught, but is behind him. It's not a good throw, right? He hits him in stride. It's an easy catch. Yeah, I agree. But it also reminded me of Will Levis' second touchdown pass ever, which was looking for Hopkins over the middle of the field and pretty well behind him, you know, wrong shoulder. Hopkins had to turn back and and catch the ball. On this one, Hopkins just like stuck one hand out. He didn't even, it looked like he made minimal effort to try to catch that ball. I don't, that was, it's on Will Levis. Don't get me wrong. It's definitely on Will Levis for not delivering an accurate ball. But I did think Hopkins could have done a little more on that one to try to catch it. I think a good option, you talked about maybe it wasn't as conservative as you remember. I, I think a good example of, of them being conservative was on that like final third down where they're trying to kill the clock and it was like thirded, whatever it was, and they ran like a receiver screen or a swing, whatever it was, and it was like gets tackled essentially right at the line of scrimmage. felt like they were conceding that they were going to punt. And look, uh, you know, game-by-game game situation, I understand thinking, hey, you know, protect the football, let's punt, pin them deep. Not exactly a good offense on the other side, right? And, and that's what they did. They punted, pinned them deep, got the ball back essentially immediately, right? And took knees out to run the clock. But uh, yeah. I, I wouldn't have mind to see them be a bit more aggressive there to try to pick up that first down so you didn't have to punt the ball back to the Panthers with like two, two and a half minutes remaining, I think, which was enough time, you know, for them to go down the field and string something together. But you got the Dina Coatry sack. It, it ended quickly. I get it. But uh, I think that was an example where they were extremely conservative. Yeah, I agree. I want to talk a little bit about the play calling and the coaching staff and the aggressiveness and all that here in this game while you're talking about some of those plays. So I agree 100%. You mentioned the fourth and one where they went for it on their own 30-yard line. We were imploring them to do that last game against the Jags in a much different game situation. That yeah. game, they were losing. They but, needed but they to get something like going. It. Yeah, and they decided to punt in that situation. In this game on Sunday, I felt like they didn't necessarily need it. I wanted no, them to go it for was it. Zero, I, zero, I wanted I to see them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was it was actually yeah, it was zero zero at that point still. And you know, Will Levis makes a great throw on the slant to Hopkins to set up the fourth and short. Felt like they had a little bit of something going. You know, that was the fifth play of the drive. Actually, yeah, that was the fifth play of the drive after the Raiden's false start. And I, and I wanted them to, wanted to see them go for it, and they did. And I commend the coaching staff for that decision. What I don't commend them for is the second-to-last drive before halftime. The Titans are 
in a situation where they had just under two minutes to go. They had 138 to play in the half, and they could, you know, run a drive down the field, try to get in the end zone, or at the very least get a, a field goal as time expired in the first half. And they elect to go run, run, pass on this drive. This was the drive where Tajay Spears got, you know, mm, lit up and, lit up. and injured. 138 to go. Tajay Spears runs for eight yards. Second and two at the Tennessee 41. I get it. The first one, you, you call a run play and it works. And it's like, okay, you kind of caught them off guard. They were expecting pass because there's a minute less than a minute 40 to go in the half. Then they run the ball again. And Tajay Spears gets taken down for a two-yard loss. That's one that I would have loved to see them put the ball in Levis's hands. Go be run aggressive. the two-minute drive. And yeah, and be aggressive. And for some reason, they go run, run. And then you're in a third and four with Levis trying to hit Spears. He threw a good ball out there that was, in terms of accuracy, he threw a nice, accurate ball to Spears. He did hang it up in the air a little bit. Oh, yeah. He <laughs> is a lot to blame for the hit that Spears took. He yes. kind of left his, his pass target out to dry there. But at the same time, it was a good, aggressive throw. You just kind of got to keep that ball down a little bit. Don't give it so much hang time so the defender doesn't have time to run over and knock your player out of the game, essentially. But I, regardless, I would have liked to see them run an actual two-minute drive there, which is almost what made it even more bizarre that they come back when they get the ball with 27 seconds to go in the half, and now they are aggressive, and now they let Levis air it out, and he makes a couple of really nice throws, one to Chigakonkwo uh, that was, you know, there's a defensive holding committed against DeAndre Hopkins on that play that they declined, put them in second and, or third and one, and then Levis hits NWI over the middle, 18-yard gain to set them up in field goal range, a really well-executed drive. Why did they wait till there was 27 seconds left to do that? They could have done something similar with a minute tw a minute 38 left and possibly, you know, you you get down to where they were when they attempted the field goal. Now you have a couple more plays to try to get to the end zone, but instead they have to settle for a field goal there. That was just a really questionable sequence to me why they decided to go run run pass with a minute 38 to go in the half. I think it's a good intricate point. I don't feel super strongly about it cuz you get the 8 yards on first down. I get maybe trying to stick with one more run play there. But I, I will say, I think that's a great situation. I, I love those being aggressive on second and short, because if you don't get it, you got another opportunity on third and short, right? That's the best argument for being aggressive. Uh, when you're second, I mean, second and two, you don't get it. It's third and two, right? Like it's, you should be able to convert a third and two. So that's the time right. to take a shot. I, I, I get what you're saying, but I, I don't think I quite feel as strongly as you do in all honesty. Yeah, it's it's a nitpick, I, I will admit, but it was just something that bothered me a little bit watching the game, especially when the whole point from our standpoint as fans, like obviously the coaching staff, the players are still trying to win games as much as they can, because as I mentioned at the top, the playoffs are still within reach <laughs> if they start playing a lot better football. But as fans, we just want to see what Will Levis can do. We want to evaluate the quarterback. And you'd think, you know, Rand Carthon and Mike Vrabel would want to evaluate the quarterback, too, so they know so they have a clearer picture of what to do in this offseason. So it's like he gets the ball with 128 and a full field worth of driving to do. Let's see him do it. Let's see yeah, if he can execute this two-minute drive. So 100%. exactly. I just wanted to see him get a chance to like run that drive, and they they didn't let him do it. Um, but then they did with 28 seconds left, and he was successful. So you'd think maybe next time they're in that situation, they'll, they'll let him go a little more. Let's talk about the offensive line. This was the best performance that the offensive line has had in a game this season. I don't think it's any coincidence that it came with Jalen Duncan at left tackle versus Andre Dillard. You got Dylan Radins at right tackle. So this is the first time we've seen this combination from left to right with Duncan on the left side and Radins on the right side. With all the injuries they've dealt with to Nicholas Petit-Frere and Chris Hubbard and Andre Dillard just not being playable because he's been so bad. Jalen Duncan 
had a pretty good game, I thought. PFF didn't think so. He was the lowest graded starter by PFF grade for this Titans offensive line, which doesn't really match up with the eye test to me. What did you see from Jalen Duncan? Do the Titans have a potential future starter here that they found in the sixth round in this past draft? I don't know that I'm ready to say that just yet, but I I, I was pretty damn impressed with his first career start. I mean, say what you will about the Panthers. Uh, Brian Burns is an elite pass rusher, an elite, outstanding pass rusher. That's worth $25 million a year, in my opinion. And he'll get that contract very soon. So uh, this was a tough matchup. And I, and I thought for the most part, I, I paid close attention to the reps that he had versus Burns. I feel like every time they snapped the ball, I felt like I was watching college tape where I'm focusing in on the left tackle because that's where I was looking right. a lot of the time, to be honest with you. And uh, I, I thought he more than held his own. I thought he was very good. All things considered, I thought he was outstanding considering you're a sixth-round rookie starting your first career game against a really good pass rusher. When you put it in that context, I thought he was outstanding. Um, but in generally speaking, I thought he was good. Lost a couple reps, sure. I think he might have gotten beat for one sack. or I think he got beat on the edge on that 25-yard floater to Chig that Levis hit on that drive. I think I think that's where he the did. pressure was coming from. Um, but I, I, there were a couple reps. I'll be, there was one in particular. I wish I marked it down where it was. Uh, I wish I wrote it down because I was paying attention. It was against Brian Burns where uh, Levis held onto the ball for a little bit. I mean, certainly I, I, I didn't time it, but it certainly felt like more than two and a half seconds, three seconds at least, I think. And, uh, and Burns couldn't get around him. And I was watching, I'm like, God, he looks like a massive target. That's difficult to get around on this rep. Yeah. Like he just looks like he is stonewalling this pass rusher and no one's getting by. I thought he played really well. Is he a future starter? I don't know. Um, again, I'll, I'll say what I said last week. I wish he was playing right tackle. Because I don't think I, I, it's silly of me to say because there, there are other solutions I know, but um, I I really think they're going to try to get a left tackle this offseason. I really do. And if he was looking good at and look, maybe you still try to get a left tackle and move him to the right because I think he's yeah. comfortable playing there from from all things we've heard. Uh, but uh, I'm not ready to say he's a future starter, but I do think. He is, at worst, a very usable swing tackle, and that's still a good thing to have. You, you need that on a 53-man roster. Uh, it's a six-round pick. I think they've hit on it more, more than likely as a rosterable guy. That's not going to get you killed. And I certainly do see long-term starter potential if he keeps developing the way uh, that he is, playing the way he seems to have a terrific attitude, great technique, great attitude. And uh, I'm excited. I'm excited about him. I, I think there's certainly – uh, it, within the realm of possibility, there's a universe out there, a realistic universe, uh, where where maybe he is a starting right tackle for them next season. And I'll go on Passable further. One. I mean, I think that there's a chance. I mean, this is the op- extreme optimistic side of it, but like, right? We'll see how the last six games go. If he is solid or more as a rookie sixth round developmental pick on the left side for your last seven games of the season you could feel pretty good about going into the offseason thinking you have your left tackle and maybe he's not in a he maybe he's not an elite left tackle but if he's just above average to good on the left side and a guy that you think can improve with another offseason of work keep in mind keep in mind a rookie offseason is hard for development because you're focusing so much on training and prepping for the combine and the draft and then you're moving cities and getting used to a new team and a new place to live and a new way of functioning your football life on a new organization in a level that you've never played at so the development time arc is usually between the first and second year so if he looks good over these last six games you could go into the draft yeah. not necessarily needing a left tackle which would help a lot if you do end up 
with a top 10 or with a pick outside the top 10 yep. and you don't have a chance to get Joe Wald or Olaf Ashanu, then maybe you think we can go a different direction here. We could attack a wide receiver. And there's so many potential first round wide receivers in this class that you'd love to get your hands on one of them. You maybe still feel bad about the right tackle position because I want to get to that in a second. But if Jalen Duncan can solidify that left side, that would be huge for the oh. roster building of where this Titans team is at. And keep in mind, this guy in December-ish of last year was thought to be a potential first or second round pick in one of I, our in one of our early draft preview like breakdown pods. We were talking about Jalen Duncan as a top of the second round option yep. after he met with the Titans. So, all, like the pedigree was there. I don't know what exactly happened during the draft process that caused him to fall so far. I think there was it's questions no sense about, to me. There was questions about his love of the game and his like rawness versus athletic. Like, yeah, he's athletic, but he's his technique needs a lot of work and things like that that maybe caused him to fall to the sixth round. But this is a guy that had that kind of pedigree of the guys we're talking about. You know the the top tackles in this year's draft behind Ola and Joe Alt. That's where Jalen Duncan was being talked about this time last year. So yeah, maybe they won. feel okay about him at the on the left side. Now on the right side, things are way different. I think Dylan Radins has shown that he's not capable of being a starter. He's not good enough to be a starter in this league. The coaching staff, which was people were wringing their hands for months about why you don't give Dylan Radins a shot. Why are you forcing him to be a guard? Why can't you give him a shot at tackle? We're seeing it. The mental aspect yep. is is a challenge for him with all the false start. I mean, he has like four or five false start penalties in the last three weeks, which is way too many. And then the the sack, he, he gave up the only sack of the game for the Titans, getting absolutely abused by Brian Burns, who granted is a great pass rusher. But if you want to be a starting right tackle in the league, you can't get absolutely abused even by the great pass rusher. you got to hold your own. And he didn't really hold his own. And I feel strongly that the coaching staff is showing us why he was not given a, an opportunity earlier in the season and why they are forced to play him now because he's like the only guy they have behind Hubbard, who's out for the year, NPF, who was also bad and is injured and out for the year. There are reasons why Dylan Reigns didn't play, and I don't think the Titans' future at right tackle is even close to solidified. But that's another reason why if you think Jalen Duncan can be your left tackle, you don't need to draft a right tackle in the first round. You know, you can wait till day two of the draft and get a solid right tackle, I think, although... You know, first year rookie right tackles drafted in the mid rounds have been pretty bad across the league the last few years. But still, I think that's another reason why Duncan working out on the left side would be huge. But you still have a big hole to fill on the right. Yeah, I agree. I think this is a great example of uh, and, and some of us are, are guilty of it at times. You don't know more than the coaching staff or you typically don't. You just don't. And I think that you are seeing why Dylan Ravens didn't get an opportunity to play tackle or to be a starting caliber offensive lineman earlier in the year. It's, it's just he's not that caliber of player. And it's unfortunate because yeah. he's a second round pick. And that's what you, you were, hoped you were getting. Right. You didn't get it. What you did get, in my opinion, is what I said just a couple minutes ago. I, I think you did get – like, he's an NFL-talented player, right? Like, he's he's a usable roster player. I think they have him in the exact role that he's going to keep playing in his NFL future, right, as a swing guy that you like the versatility, yeah. can get you through. He's not getting you killed on a snap-by-snap -snap basis. He can come in and play pretty 
okay at guard. I think he's a better guard than he is tackle. I think we're, we're seeing that right now. Uh, I don't think he's a great guard. I think he's an okay guard. And I think he's just a slightly below average tackle. But you, you and I both know how bad offensive line play can get in this league, where if he's your backup, maybe you take just slightly below average tackle, right? Like kind right. of thing, right? Like you kind of just, that's your seventh guy. That's everyone's seventh guy, right? But it's still an NFL talented guy. It's not Dennis Daly or Andre Dillard. It's better than that, in my opinion, right? right? So, but I agree. You're seeing it that the staff knew exactly what they were doing. I don't think this is a starting caliber NFL tackle. Uh, I think he's a very usable sixth or seventh offensive lineman that, again, can play four positions. That's great yeah. to have that versatility. It's not what you were trying to get in the second round when you took him. It's, unfortunately, it's what you ended up with, and now you got to make the best of it. Uh, but certainly, I agree, this is not a starting caliber player for them uh, You know, going into next season. He'll still be under contract next year. I imagine he's on the 53-man roster next year. Again, yeah, uh, he should be most likely, but um, but no, he's not a he's not a solution. Yeah, he won't be the starter, and he's exactly what I mean when I said a second ago that it can be tough to find that right tackle even on day two that that can be a quality player because the Titans thought they were getting that when they drafted him, and he hasn't been anything close to it. So I think that does it for the offense. One last note on the offense: got to give our flowers to Derrick Henry, who became yes. the eighth player in NFL history with 9,000 rushing yards and wow. 80 rushing touchdowns before turning 30 years old. The other seven players are all either in the Hall of Fame or will be in the Hall of Fame. Jim Brown, Eric Dickerson, Barry Sanders, Emmett Smith, Marshall Falk, LaDainian Tomlinson, and Adrian Peterson, who's not in the Hall yet, but will be. I mean, these guys were all the best running back of their era. They all ac- achieved this statistical feat. Derrick Henry, best running back of his era, maybe not right now in his age 30 season, but for a time, he was the best running back in the league for multiple seasons. He reaches this list. I think Derrick Henry's Hall of Fame case grows even stronger. And if the Titans decide they want to bring him back to be an offensive leader, a guy who can, you know, be that captain of the offense and maybe have a a more diminished role next season, I think there is a world where the Titans bring Henry back on like a two-year deal because he just gives he he is more valuable to the Titans his knowledge of the culture and the coaching staff and the leader the vocal leader that he is he's more valuable to the Titans than he will be to any other team I could see the market and we've seen the running back market be very dry for some of these guys who are much younger hitting free agency the Saquon Barkley the Josh Jacobs sagas we saw recently I think there's a pretty decent chance Henry's back with Tennessee next year I think there is too I'm not writing it off Tip of the cap to him. His flowers, like you said, he deserves it. He's one of the best players in franchise history. I love to see this for him. I've never agreed with the notion that it's like they've got to move on from Derrick Henry to usher in this pass happy offense. And like, get, I mean, a mentality thing, I, I don't get, I don't agree with that, right? Like, I think there's no reason why they can't have Derrick Henry and still build an offense around Will Levis. It's not going to be for cap related purposes. You're going to have $100 million in cap space. Whatever deal you sign Derrick Henry to, uh, if you do resign him, is not going to eat a, a large chunk of that. It's just not. Like you said, what's he going to get? Two year, 20 million? 10 a year max, maybe less, honestly, maybe it's two years, 15 million. Maybe it's two years, 14 million. Like that uh, he's going to have to come to terms with it. It's a lot less money than he's made uh, on the current contract, but Hey, you know, you're getting older. That's where the market is. If it's two years, 14 million, what's the cap hit going to be next year? 3 million, two and a half million for like, there's still, you'll still have a ton of money to go out and get a couple offensive linemen. You can go get T Higgins and re-sign Derrick Henry still like they're going to have a lot of money to do all that, even if they keep them. And, and you can still build around Levis and have a pass-happy offense and take some of the pressure off him with a good running back. He's still a good running back. He's still one of the best in the NFL, in my opinion. 
Um, so I agree with you. I, I don't think I'm not quite there yet. Like some people are that it's a foregone conclusion that he's not going to be back next year. And I think you're with me on this. So that's good to hear because uh, I, again, I think you could totally resign him and you'll have a ton of money left to do a lot of other stuff you want. Right. Okay. Last thing I want to talk about here is I mentioned that I came away from this game with more concerns than hope for the rest of this season. And one reason for that is the defense. And it's not like the defense played terribly. They only allowed 10 points to an offense that has been bad, but has been averaging more than 10 points a game. They only allowed one touchdown drive. You know, they did a pretty decent job, but the number of third down penalties that this <laughs> defense commits is just absolutely un inexcusable. It's so frustrating it's to watch too. this. Yes, it happens week after week. You watch this defense get a stop on third down and the ball's coming back to the Titans and then you see the little flag graphic come up on the bottom of the screen. You're like, oh, what is it this time? And almost every time it's Christian Fulton committing a holding penalty <laughs> or something stupid like that. And uh, unnecessarily because the defense got the stop and the flag is like away from the ball. And this just keeps happening to this defense. And you wonder where this lack of discipline is coming from because it's not typical for a Mike Vrabel-led team to have such a lack of discipline. The defense played well. They pressured a bad offensive line. They got after Bryce Young with four sacks on the day. But overall, I just feel like a, a better offense. I mean, there were a number of plays to be made for this Panthers offense that they didn't make, like Jonathan Mingo at, at the sideline jumping out of bounds and spinning his body back around to try to catch the ball, where in no world would he have ever got his feet down in bounds if he had made the catch when he was pretty much wide open on the sideline. I feel like there were plays to be made that this Panthers offense just isn't capable of making because the talent is just not there on this Panthers team. And that's a, one of the big reasons they're one in 10. So against a better offense, you know, you play like this against the Dolphins, they're putting up 40 on you. And I just don't know. I'm, I have no confidence that this defense can play well against a good opponent, especially coming off the loss to Jacksonville, where that is not even a great offense, but they looked like a great offense against the Titans you play a bad offense, you make them look bad, but I don't know. I, I just don't think this defense is good enough. I talked about the potential playoff run. <laughs> this defense is not good enough to get them there. Well, I'm fully with you. I, I don't take a ton of positives from this performance either. And, 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 you know, by the way, we'll get into it later this week, but I think, you know, you got carved up by Gardner Minshew when you lost a couple of weeks or week, months ago now to the Colts when Anthony Richardson left hurt. So you get another chance to go up against Gardner Minshew. You let him carve you up. It's, it's, it's bad. But uh, I'll tell you why I agree with you. That Panthers O-line is even worse um, than the Titans O-line, in all honesty. I think it's the worst O-line in the NFL. I mean, like little things. When I saw, oh my God, they're starting Chandler Zavala who I, I it just, it, it resonated with me because I did a lot of homework on him pre-draft. I really liked him as a day three developmental guard. Like he put up these crazy numbers at his pro day. I, I interviewed him. I, Cause I remember I saw the pro day numbers. They were like eye popping. I don't think he was at the combine if I remember correctly. So, you know, he came across my radar as a late bloomer. Oh wow. A pro day darling. I wanted to get him on my interview series and I did. And I'm like, what an intriguing day three developmental interior lineman. And now they're starting him at guard and I, he's not prepared. He's not ready to play. He's going up against Jeffrey Simmons for crying out loud. I mean, it was just awful, right? Like, and then he got hurt. They replaced him with, I think that I, I, I wish I, did I hear correctly? It was like a sixth year interior lineman that had never played a regular season snap. I think I heard yeah. them say, I'm like, oh my God. I mean, this guy, I mean, good kudos to him. He's hung around the league, but I don't even know how you've hung around that long. You've never played a snap. I mean, obviously practice squad to practice squad, I guess, but 
I mean, Iki Aquanu, to be honest, has not taken the step forward. In fact, he's regressed. Maybe some of that has to do with the disasters around him. But um, and then it just it's all bad. It's all bad. I mean, Austin Corbett's on IR. Brady Christensen's on IR. Like, it's a terrible. This D line's been very disappointing lately. Yes, they got. But I mean, Jeffrey Simmons is beating amateurs yesterday. To be to be blunt, Arden Key. I'm not putting a ton of stock into it yet because he's been so cold for so long. Okay, he beat up on a tackle. That's really. I don't even say he beat him up. He had that. It was a huge strip sack against a struggling tackle. Right. So I'm I'm with you. I'm not there yet. The secondary is not good. Right. Too much Kayvon Wallace, too much Terrell Edmonds. And I know he didn't play yesterday, but we've had too much of him, too much Elijah Molden, too much Trey Avery when they want to get him in there, too much Christian Fulton. Like, no, the secondary is not good. Uh, the D line hasn't been consistent enough. I'm not putting enough stock, giving them a ton of credit for beating up on the worst O line in the league. I'm with you. I'm still fair, uh, pretty uh, down on, the, on this defense right now. And the third down conversions, I mean, third and long, you expect your defense to be able to get off the field. And it felt like, yeah, they did a few times, but it felt like there were just way too many third and 10, third and 12 conversions that they gave up. Panthers were six of 16 on third down. Even allowing them to get to 16 third downs just shows that your defense isn't getting off the field enough. Titans, on the other hand, two for 11 on third down, which is, you know, maybe if the Panthers were two for two for 10 or something, that then you feel a lot better. But even giving up, 16 attempts on third down, giving up those six conversions. Like Panthers only managed 258 total yards, only managed 3.9 yards per play. They had one turnover on the day and they were held to 10 points. So at the end of the day, it's hard to complain too much about this defensive performance, but trying to extrapolate and looking at how this would be against a competent offense just gives you a lot of concern going forward. So that's where I'm at. I don't think that there's anything left to be done about this team. You just see if they can play better against the Colts and if they can get up for the competition for the rest of the year. Like I said, the playoffs are not out of reach, but they pretty much got to win five of the last six to even be in the conversation. And that is going to be a tall task. That would put them at nine and eight on the year if they did that, which is a huge turnaround from three and seven. But um, I don't know if they're going to get there. So we'll see how things shake out. Anything else you want to talk about from this game? We didn't mention Peter Skaronsky. Maybe we should briefly say... He's been really good the last two games, and he was really good again on Sunday. I think again when you add context, when you add context, excuse me, to that conversation, I think Peter Skaronsky's been outstanding this year. I mean, I brought this up last week. I'm going to say it again. I'll, I'll try to get through it quickly. I got to watch O line recently with a, a former NFL. I got to watch O line. I got to watch O lineman on tape with a former NFL lineman recently, and just hearing his experiences and his knowledge in the game, he's launched a successful post-playing career in football still. And, uh, you know, we talked about what that's like for linemen in college today, college offense, going to the NFL, yada, yada, and how difficult it is. It's just such a difficult position. I just talked about the Panthers playing rookies who are completely unprepared for the competition at this level. And uh, what Peter Skaronsky has done, I think, is it deserves a, a round of applause Pat on the back for him. He's been really steady, solid, and good. And you add in the appendix situation where he lost a ton of weight, had to regain it, strength, all that. For that to happen in the middle of the season, early on, in fact, so you have to take a couple weeks off, come back. Like The adversity has been there for him. I think when you add that to it, that's what I mean uh, by context. I think he's having an outstanding rookie year. I think he's a 10-year starter at left guard, which is exactly what we thought we were getting. Exactly. So you spend the 11th overall pick on a guard. Sometimes you question the value of that. But when you get a guy that's going to be, you know, maybe your best offensive lineman for a long time, 
you feel good about the pick and you, you worry less about how the resources are spent to get good players and just get good players. And that's, especially, that's the bottom especially line. on the O-line where you're so bad and you've been bad last year and the year before, like, especially up there, question the value all you want. I don't care. They, at least they've got one of five solutions probably on that line. It's a lot better than zero. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, that will do it for this episode. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thank you if you are watching on YouTube at the Music City Audible podcast. We really appreciate the support there. Make sure you are subscribed to the channel. Hit the subscribe button below and give us a thumbs up like. Hit those little hit that little bell so you get an alert every time we drop a new video. Speaking of new videos, Justin, I want to tell you what I'm planning for the channel this week. Ooh. Let's get a Will Levis breakdown up there. It's been a couple weeks since Let's I did do one it. of those. Let's go. I That's might, a good one to I do might too. Just, uh, you better have that honey hole shot to Josh Wiley. Oh, for I sure. Earlier, for that sure. throw was outstanding. And I'm gonna, I'm probably gonna look at. Maybe I'll just look at the 15 play drive and then throw in a few of the misses from the second half, um, just to like get a comparison for where he's doing well and where he still needs to improve. And then I think the people are asking, Jalen Duncan film review. Can we get a Jalen Duncan film review up there? So I think maybe I'll, I'll do a little Jalen Duncan thing too. I got a, a little bit more time this week than I've had the past month or so to try to get a breakdown to up there. So we'll, we'll we'll shoot for two. I'll do Levis first, see see what my time looks like for Duncan as well. But those are the two I'm shooting for. If there's something else out there, viewers on YouTube, that you would prefer me to do, drop it in the comments below and I will see if I can get to it as well. We're also gonna start getting into draft coverage soon. If the Titans lose next week, I'm ruling out the playoffs entirely, which you have done three weeks ago, but I have still been clinging to a, a tiny shred of hope. Um, we'll start talking about where the where the draft prospects, the Titans that are best fits for the Titans. So anyway, that'll do it for this one. Follow Justin on Twitter at JustinM underscore NFL. You can follow me at Titans Film Room. We'll be back later this week to preview the Titans Colts matchup that is at home next week. And like I said, those two breakdown videos will hopefully be up this week as well. All right. Until then, y'all stay safe out there and tighten up. A Broadway Sports Media Production.